Welcome to When I Was On My Mission, the podcast where missionaries tell true, unbelievable stories that they experienced firsthand. I'm your host, Brian Jensen. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app. It really helps us out. Hey everyone, welcome to When I Was On My Mission. I am here with Paris Thomas, who is a brother of a friend of mine. First of all, just has a really interesting story about getting out on a mission and then has a fun story that he wants to share with us too. So Paris, welcome to When I Was On My Mission. Thanks. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to be here. Like you said, I'm from uh, Tuskegee, Alabama and served in the England Leeds mission. My journey into the church was, you know, kind of crazy. I grew up you know, impoverished. I lost two brothers to gang violence. And so those experiences kind of softened my heart towards the gospel. When I was about 14, that's when I actually met missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And Tuskegee, where I'm from, is a predominantly black town. So I saw like these two white guys. And I'm thinking to myself, like, are they the police? Like, why are they here? And they told me, oh, we're actually here to share a message about God. And so the, you know, 14 year old me is trying to close the door on these guys. And my mom sees them and sees that their batch says Jesus. And any Southern woman, you know, Southern yeah. black woman is not going to close the door on Jesus. Yeah. So she lets them in. And, and yeah, that's how my, my journey kind of kicked off. I must have been the most horrible investigator <laughs> I think that ever lived. I, I remember turning to my mom after that first lesson. I was like, that's a cult. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, continue coming back and uh, I would actually try to run. I would take my younger sister and we would run to my friend's house and my mom would find (laughs) us and drag us back. And there's like weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Oh, that's great. Sometimes my friends would snitch on me, you know, because they're like, oh, yeah, the white boys coming over. (laughs) And uh, eventually, um, after reading the Book of Mormon, I, I found out it was true and I remember praying about the Book of Mormon, and once I got an answer, I knew I had to make some changes in my life. And I went to my mom, and I'm like, it's true. Everything they've been teaching us is true. And she's like, I know, baby. <laughs> so my mom is, a, is you know, one of the, the wisest people I know. And, and yeah, eventually I was baptized. My sister was, and, and my mom as well. So were you Christian? I'm, I'm assuming you guys were Christian before the missionaries came. Mm-hmm, yeah. What What denomination? So my mom was pretty much non-denominational. She did go to like Jehovah's Witness churches or Baptist churches in Alabama. But for the most part, she was, you know, just a really Christian person, non-denominational, would go to whatever church she felt like taught about the Savior. Very good. I knew a lot of people like that in North Carolina. A lot of like very committed to their Mm -hmm. denomination and then also some very non-denominational too. Yeah. I think I met some people that were exactly like your mom also that were grabbing their kids when we would show up. So I, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, that's great. And so you, when you were 14, mm-hmm. that is when you prayed to know if the Book of Mormon was true and mm-hmm. had your had your conversion experience. Yeah, was that's that right? true. Yeah, when I was 14, that's uh, when, I, when I found out that the gospel is true. Not because I necessarily wanted it to be. And yeah. I, I remember an experience where the missionaries, they're like, teaching us about prophets and they pull out, you know, they're like, we have a prophet on the earth today. And they pull out this card and it was president Hinckley at the time. And I see this old, you know, white dude. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not a prophet. Cause I'm thinking like <laughs> Charlton Heston from like Moses, yes. you know, like from Exodus or something. I'm like, he doesn't have a robe. There's no beard. He doesn't have a staff. <laughs> they invited me to general conference and, and I actually heard president Hinckley speak for the first time. And I, I knew after that, that he was a prophet. That is awesome. 
And so you ended up moving to Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's right. Just tell us a little bit about that. So when the missionaries came around, uh, when I was 14, I actually had left high school. So I was a high school dropout uh, at that time. So your freshman year, you dropped out? Yeah, this was like my freshman year of of high school. I just decided it wasn't for me. And education wasn't really that important growing up. I was homeless like most of my childhood. Oh, wow. Before that, after my father left, my family just struggled to find a place to live. And so I don't even remember going to third grade. So education just wasn't something that was super important to me. So when I was 14, I just decided, yeah, this isn't for me and decided to leave. I thought about pursuing kind of the same path that my brothers did with, you know, going down the the kind of gang violence route, because I remember the people in my neighborhood that had friends and money and all the things that I thought were important usually were involved in gangs. And so I thought that's the path for me. So at the same time I have this influence, that's when the missionaries come around. And that's when I meet Elder Rigby and and other missionaries that really helped me to go down the right path. It was Elder Rigby's idea to help me get my GD. Oh, wow. And I remember being mad the whole time. He would actually like drive me to GD lessons. And I'm not sure missionaries (laughs) are allowed to do that, but he would just like throw me in his car, drive me to GD lessons. And then I remember when I passed, I was just super surprised because I, I, I just thought my potential was one thing. And so to see that I had more potential than I thought was pretty amazing. And so he came up with a crazy idea to let me go to Utah to live with his family. And Elder Rigby was the kind of missionary that he doesn't take no, he doesn't take <laughs> yeah, no for an answer. And so I know Chase. Yeah. Yeah. So you know how he is. And so I, I don't even know if he like got permission from his family, but I knew I was on a plane uh, not too long after that. And He's like, hey, this kid is on his way. And so he sent me to live with his family and treated me just like a son. And so I lived there and saved up to go on my mission. That is incredible. And so so you're 14 and you get on a plane? Or were you a little oh, bit older? Oh, so by this time I was 16. You yeah. were 16. Okay. Yeah, and so then- this is like when I, at 16, that's when I passed the GED. And, and that's when Chase sent me to live with his family. Got it. I was reading a little, one of the articles that was about mm-hmm. you. And it said that the missionaries would have, like Chase would have you come over and study with them in the morning during personal studies. Yeah. Right? So when I met Elder Rigby after I joined the church, he's like, look, you're not in high school, so you're going to be a missionary. And so, <laughs> yeah, I would go and study with the missionaries in the morning, teach them all day. I'd knock on my friend's doors and teach them about the Book of Mormon and about the gospel. And then at night I would go to work from about 10 p.m. to about 1 a.m. The local university, I sold sandwiches dorm to dorm. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah, it was it was a fun time. It was, it was pretty crazy. And then uh, I go and do it all over again. That is incredible. I have never heard a mission story like that. Yeah, and amazing. I'm sure yeah. it wasn't allowed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, Elder Rigby. Excuse me. Never let the rules get in the That's way. That's right. As far you know, as far. As yeah, he far ended up serving in the office because of that. Yeah. And so I got really close with the mission president in Alabama and he loved Elder Rigby because of that. He said, I know you're not going to let the rules get in the way of doing the right thing. Yep. 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 That's <laughs> not that I'm encouraging that kind of behavior. Oh, of course not. <laughs> but it also in high school, that type of behavior can lead to some really fun times too. But oh. you, you know, you grow up and you mature a little bit is, is what it sounds like. That's, <laughs> yeah. that is amazing. And so you went and lived with his family up in Salt yeah. Lake. You're done with high school at that point. And so you yeah, didn't, you didn't go to high school. I'd taken my GED and okay. um, I'd actually gotten into LDS Business College. Okay. 
And so I started school there and I started working to, to save for my mission. It was a huge culture shock just going yeah. from a place like Tuskegee and living in Salt Lake and the avenues. Um, but I made a lot of friends and really strengthened my testimony during that time. Very cool. One more question. Yeah. Like when you when you think back to your brothers and mm-hmm. the path that they chose, was that hard to yeah. to not go that same way? Or did the church come at just the right time to kind of keep you off that path? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the timing of the missionaries coming into my life couldn't have been uh, more perfect because it was really hard not to go the, the same path that my brothers did, even though they, they passed away so young um, due to gang violence. Because... It's very enticing for young men where I'm from to get involved in gang violence because you get kind of instant money and quick money, which a lot of us don't have. Probably Um, respect and respect, you you get friends. And I still remember the day that um, someone came to me, someone who's pretty high up in in one of the gangs, and they asked me, hey, like, if you want to join, you know, because he has seen what I've been doing with the missionaries, but he's like, look, if you want to join us, you don't even have to get initiated, which is like either you have to get jumped in or commit some kind of some crime. crime. Yeah. He's like, you don't, you don't even have to do any of that and I will let you in. That was really enticing, you know, because I, the camaraderie, the friendship, the money, all the things that I didn't have at that time. But I got a lot of that from being with the missionaries and, and the work that I was doing. And I told them, no. When you told him no, did he kind of understand? Like, yeah. or was he supportive, or was he upset or frustrated? Like, what? How? How was that? Yeah, when I told that person no, like I, I don't want to join the gang, he was very supportive of that decision because he saw the good that it was doing for me, and he knew like that would probably be a better path for me, even though I, I may not have realized it. Yeah, at that time, because I was just a you know sixteen year old, so. I don't know everything that's going to happen to me. I don't know what this path is going to entail later on in my life. I can't see myself now like in law school, working for a judge, you know, those kind of things. So it was really tough, but he was very supportive. Wow, that's amazing to think about, you know, even a person in that situation, recognizing the good that's that's coming into somebody's life and being supportive like that. Yeah. I made friends with a couple people in gangs when when I was in Mm -hmm. North Carolina. And there's kind of this, I don't know if it's an urban legend, but story that goes around that that uh, gang members somewhat respect missionaries and kind of recognize that Mm -hmm. they're just trying to talk with people about Jesus and things like that. Is that true? Just from your experience, is is that a true thing? Yeah, and Tuskegee, especially where I lived, like amongst the gang members and and people who are more into like the street life, they definitely got a lot more respect um, because they were missionaries Mm -hmm. and because people knew what they were about. And so I definitely saw people give them a little bit more deference uh, because of that and, and kind of protect them almost mm-hmm. because they knew that they were there to, to do something good for the community. And so I remember we go to like drug houses, you know, yeah. with the missionaries and, you know, people wouldn't necessarily be like super receptive, but they weren't rude or, or mean about it. And especially, you know, some of the missionaries that came to Tuskegee, they were pretty good ballers too. Yeah. So that's a, a quick way to gain respect is on the basketball court. So when you get a reputation for for that, plus you're you're doing something very positive in the community. I think the relationships that they were able to build in the community were were very very helpful. That is super interesting, and I had a, a really similar experience in an, in an area that made friends with a couple of people 
found myself in a couple of drug houses that I wouldn't yeah. you know, have expected to <laughs> yeah. be in and interesting experiences, but people that were, you know, genuinely interested anyway, just to, just a perspective that yeah. I don't, I, people don't normally get in, you know, in yeah. the church or when you're thinking about going on a mission or things like that. And a lot of people in that situation of the street life, they're victims too, because the family members and people that I've met in that situation and myself, you know, almost been in that situation, a lot of them feel that they're not good at anything else. They just don't have any other options, which is really sad. And it's hard to imagine for some people, but there are some people that just feel so hopeless and they feel like, you know, this is all I'm good at. An example of that is a cousin of mine. He, you know, had been in and out of jail because of, of drugs and drug dealing. He served his time, so yeah. he won't mind me sharing this story. But I was talking with him recently because he changed his life around this last time that he got out of jail. And he's working a, a legitimate job now. And But for years, he didn't do that. And he told me it's because I just didn't think I was good at anything else. And finally, he's saying, like, I have other skills. I'm not excusing it, but I think a lot of times if we can do what the missionaries did for me and help people to see that they have more potential than they think, that'll keep a lot of them away from that path. Because if people see that there's another way or there's another option for them or that they can do something different, they're probably going to do something different. That is super cool. I can feel that while you're telling me that. You need some good other rigbies out there to yeah. drag people out of their houses and yeah. make them study for the GED and exactly. some things like that. I didn't think I had any potential. Mm-hmm. And so having people in my life that showed me that I had potential changed my life. Well, that is, that is incredible. Thank you for telling us about that. Yeah. And then maybe just one more piece before we jump yeah. into, into your mission story, but just tell me a little bit about deciding to go on a mission yourself and, yeah. and getting a mission call. I just love to hear about your decision to do that and what that was like to get your call and then go to England, you know, probably even more different than Salt Lake uh, compared to Tuskegee. It was, yeah. So my desire to go on a mission started when I lived with the missionaries as a 16-year-old and did the mini-mission thing. And I remember me and a friend, another young man in our small branch in Tuskegee, we went out one day to, like, teach, you know, in our neighborhood. And we came across some young men playing basketball. And so by this time in our community in Tuskegee, people kind of knew like the missionaries or people from church, if they beat you in basketball, they can teach you about the church. (laughs) So it was like an unspoken rule at this point. And so we told them like, Hey, if we beat you, can we teach you about the book? And they're like, okay, you're not going to beat us. (laughs) And so this is how I know there's a God. Because we actually did win that game, <laughs> me and my friend. And so we pull out the Book of Mormon. We we share the scriptures with them in 3 Nephi 11 and Moroni chapter 10 and ask them to read and pray, just like the missionaries had taught us. And we give the Book of Mormon to them. And a few days later, we go back around with the missionaries. We see one of the young men and the missionary is like, hey, what did you do with that book that Paris and his friend gave you? He's like, oh, I read it. Like, what do you think about it? He says, it's true. And so he was wow. actually baptized shortly after that. And he went on a mission before I did. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he was like a year older. So when that happened, I was like, man, I want to serve a mission too. Go. Like this kid yeah. I've met like playing basketball is on a mission now. Like I want that to be me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So by the time I was in Utah, I, I was just already on fire and, and wanted to go on a mission. So I started saving. And yeah, I remember did my two years at the business college. Yeah, by, by the time it came time to put my papers in, I was just so excited. And I thought I was going to get called back to Alabama. To Alabama, yeah. I was like, I'm going to, to the South because that's what I was comfortable with. I remember getting my mission call because I'm, I'm like stalking 
the mailman like every day yeah. after I turn my yeah. papers in, like just so excited. And I knew wherever I went, I would just be so happy to serve. And I open up my mission call, like hijack the mailman pretty much. <laughs> I get my mission call, I invite all my friends over, I open it and it says, you're here by been called to serve in the England Leeds Yorkshire mission. <laughs> And I'm saying that wrong, like it's Yorkshire, but Yorkshire, yeah. the the British, they corrected me a lot on that. But uh, yeah, I just remember, I think I took my shirt off and like ran around <laughs> the house like several times, just so oh, excited. I was like, I'm going to England, I'm going to England. <laughs> and so I remember calling my family and telling them, I don't know, like my cousins and stuff, I don't think they got the significance of it, but they knew how important it was to me. People around me were so excited for me and I was just super pumped. That's great. And is your mom still active in the church? Does she? Yeah, for the most part, she's still active. She is on dialysis, and so that affects her oh, um, I'm sorry. health a lot. Yeah, it's, it's no worse. She's been on dialysis for a number of years now, so she doesn't have the same strength that she used to have, but her faith is still strong. And so that small branch that we had in Tuskegee, it actually... Because a lot of the priesthood was me and the other young men yeah. there. And so once all of us started going on missions and going away to college, there was no priesthood. So it was just our moms and a lot of the other elderly women there. And so there wasn't priesthood really to sustain it. So they ended up closing that branch down. So everyone goes like 30 minutes away to Montgomery for church. Now. Montgomery. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's an incredible journey from, uh, you know, where you started to serving a mission in Leeds yeah. to being here. Thank you for telling us that that's, that's incredible. No and worries. I, you know, I, I think you've got a story from your mission that yeah. you can share with us too. And we'd love for you to share that with us. Yeah. There's so many great stories I can pull for them, but one, I think that kind of encapsulates my mission very well is, I was serving in an area called Newcastle. It's one of the, I think, third or fourth largest cities in England. I just got a new companion, and uh, we we got along pretty well. And I remember one day we were out street contacting, and I guess as a bit of background, like I'm terrible with directions, <laughs> and so I like I can get lost just walking outside every day. And I'm still like that to this day. I just have no sense of direction. I get lost anywhere I go, pretty much. I'm just gonna say. In the South, so I served my mission in North mm-hmm. Carolina. Directions were completely different yeah, in the South exactly. than they are like here. And the names it was are like, different. How do I get, you know, to mm-hmm. the store? And and it would be like, oh, you just <laughs> go down the street and mm-hmm. you see the big oak tree. Yep. And you go right, and then there's a fence and a dog, and then you and you go talk to Paul when you get there. Exactly. And then Paul's <laughs> gonna tell you the oh, rest yeah. of the way. I remember a yeah. woman describing to me the dog that I would see yeah. and that it's, it was about as big as a corn cob. It's about as big as a corn cob. And I was like, all right, I'm going to know though. it when I get there. Anyway. No, no, no. That's perfect. No, that explains pretty well, like my situation. And yeah, I just have no sense of direction. I think that's probably why, because down South, it's just like, you go about three Farsis, <laughs> Farsis. and then when you see Joe on the corner, you're going to talk to him and he'll tell you how to get to such and such street. Where you're gonna meet Miss Mary, and then she, you know, so and it works, it's and it great. works, yeah. yeah. If you if you follow, it, you'll get there. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just I don't know why I'm just not blessed with a sense of direction. So when me and Elder Burr were out street contacting one day in Newcastle, I remember almost just being in a trance, and I just stopped talking to the person I'm talking to, and I just walk up to Elder Burr and I just say, "Follow me," and we just start walking. I turn into like a human GPS all of a sudden. I'm like, "Turn left." turn right, turn here. <laughs> We're just walking in Newcastle, a city of like hundreds of thousands of people. Never been there before. Never been just... there before. We get to a, a flat 
and apartment. Sorry, I'm you're back to your British. You know, back yeah. into my British ways, and I just say knock on this door. And Elder Bird goes and knocks on the door, and this woman from Africa answers the door, and she says, "I've been waiting for you." <laughs> and me and Elder Bird kind of look at each other, and she invites us in, and we go in, and she's like, "Yeah, I just moved from Zimbabwe. Like we've been looking for the church because I'm a member." Yeah, she's just like my daughter. She wants to get baptized. Yeah, and her, her daughter was eventually baptized, and they started coming to church with us, and 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 are, are really strong, strong members in England. But I just remember being like, "Wow, the Lord can even use someone like me." Sometimes I felt like you know that story. I think it's in Numbers 22, like the donkey. And Balaam, right? Yes. Where he's like beating on the donkey and yes. then the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey. And I'm like, I'm that donkey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the Lord can use me, even somebody from Tuskegee, Alabama to, to do something to me. Even someone with no sense of direction in a city of hundreds of thousands of people. And it just really helped me to see that he loves his children. And it's Heavenly Father's work. And if he wants to find someone, he will find them no matter what. And so just experiences like that just really helped me to see that that it's it's the Lord's work and not mine. And I think when I first went on a mission, I was a little too cocky because of my mini mission experience and some of the success I saw in Alabama. And so being in England was very humbling, especially in my first area. And I remember, because I'm from the Black Belt, and, and the, they call it the Bible Belt, too. So yeah. it's like everyone there believes. Yeah. Everyone there is Christian. And then I go to Utah, everyone believes in God, you know, and then you go to England where not many people believe in God. And so I remember the first few people like talking to them and they're like, oh, no, I don't believe in God. And I was just shocked. I was just, it was like a culture shock. I'm like, what? What? Like no one says that where I'm from. Yeah. You might think it, but you don't say it out loud. And then I mean like hundreds, if not thousands of people, an entire population of people who they don't believe in God or a part of like a Christian religion. And so it was very eye opening and and taught me a lot. And I remember speaking to one young man on the street because I'm thinking like, okay, I'm just going to science my way or use all the sophistry and sure. logic your way logic into my way yeah. into it and, and this is early on in my mission so i'm just talking to this kid on the street and i'm using all kinds of logic i'm eloquent i remember at the end of the conversation after our pretty much argument or debate he says you convinced me but you haven't converted me <laughs> and so that was super humbling and that helped me realize even more you know, this is the Lord's work. So that experience and, and others kind of humbled me and, and helped me see, like, if you want people to believe, you just have to challenge them to, to read and to pray and, and to do the things that build faith. You're not going to logic your way into into people believing. Because if you can convince them with words, somebody could come along just as easily and yep. unconvince them. And so it has to be the spirit. It has to be Heavenly Father that converts people, not you. That was a, a really powerful experience. And I gained a, a huge love for the British people. And, and, uh, yeah, I just love my time there so much. Well, those are amazing stories. Thank you for sharing those with us. I think I had a similar, you know, humbling and thinking about logic and things like that and realization (laughs) that, that it is the spirit that does the converting. Mm -hmm. And I just humbly submit that I think you're at a higher starting level than the donkey from numbers, (laughs) but, uh, but it is, uh, some would disagree. So (laughs) my wife is in the corner. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I I think they'd probably be wrong. (laughs) No. And that, that story about, about the woman who just, you knew the way to, to find her in a sea of people that didn't believe in God, you were able to get to her house. And when you knocked on the door, it was, you know, where were you? I've been waiting for you. Exactly. 
That's incredible. Yeah, it was definitely a powerful experience. And, and yeah, to this day, I'm like, so you tell me, you know, if, if there's people who don't believe you tell me how that happened. Cause I, I, I didn't know where she was. How could I have known in a city full of hundreds of thousands of people? So only heavenly father could have known where she was. Yeah. Amen. I, I feel the same way. Have a couple stories myself that are like things I said or feelings that yeah. I had that I know never would have occurred to me on my own because it's yeah. so different than my nature or, Definitely. you know, just outside of what yeah. I normally think about. But totally agree with you. Those are great stories. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those with us. And maybe just one more question for yeah. you. I asked this to everybody that comes on the podcast, but, you know, thinking back to... Mm-hmm changing your life, you know, from where you started in Tuskegee to all the work that went into a GED, all those things, you know, moving to Salt Lake, leaving your friends behind, all the things that got you out on a mission. And then, you know, the humbling and probably hardship, I'm sure that you endured like everybody else. Was it worth it serving Mm -hmm. a mission? Absolutely. There's just things that you can learn on a mission that you can't learn anywhere else. And that's not a knock on people who choose not to go or maybe leave, but there's just certain skills. Like there wasn't a day that's gone by in the past, you know, 10 or 11 years since I've left England or whatever, that I haven't had to use a skill that I've learned or I haven't remembered somebody either that I taught or a missionary, something they said that just helps me in that moment. There's just certain things that you can, you can learn that you can't learn any other way. It was definitely worth it for me. I, I use it every day. Well, thank you. And thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. And really appreciate it. Thank you for it. doing this. This is so fun. Well, thanks, Paris. Really, really thank appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brian. Yeah. And thanks everybody for joining this time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When I Was On My Mission. If you or someone you know has a great mission story, we would love to hear it. Please email us at contactonmymission at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram or Facebook at When I Was On My Mission. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app.